welcome. We've made it to episode number three of the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. My name's David Galea and I'm excited to share with you some great music written by some of the fantastic composers we have here in Australia. And as we said in previous episodes, it's hoped that this podcast can help showcase the great music that's being made here in this country, particularly in the jazz and groove vein. And so far, the response has been really positive. So if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, then go to your favorite spot, whether that be iTunes or Spotify or Buzzsprout or any other podcast forum. Just Google Australian Jazz and Groove Podcast and you'll be sure to find the path to download each episode. And if you'd also like your work featured on this show, please reach out and email me at australianjazzandgroovepodcast at gmail.com. Well, what do we have coming up on this episode? Well, we'll be talking to composer and vocalist Ellie Hoyt, who now resides in London, but was raised in Tasmania. She'll be talking to us about what it was like to grow up in a large family in Tasmania and how that prepared her for her musical journey around the world. She'll be also talking to us about her 2019 release, The Composer's Voice, celebrating Australian women composers and how she got that project together to make such a stunning recording. So who else do we have on this episode? Well, we'll hear music from absolute legends on the Brisbane jazz scene. That is the band, The View from Madeline's Couch. Also music from guitarist and composer Mike Anderson. And finally, an original track from Brisbane percussionist and composer Lachlan Hawkins. But to kick us off for today, let's listen to a track from Perth-based musician, composer and bass player Nick Abbey. Now, in 2019, Nick released the album Phantoms and with his trio, he made up of Daniel Sunjar and Chris Foster on piano. So this is a track from that album called Remnant.
lua como o sol me dá vida e eles levantam meu espírito quando estou cansado e não consigo encontrar energia em uma vida cheia de tristeza e a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré e a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré quando eu lembro de você e o seu coração sua alma e o seu sorriso que me enchem de saudade mantendo você sempre é meu coração e a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré e a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré e a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré e a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré Consigo encontrar energia em uma vida cheia de tristeza. E a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré. E a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré. E a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré. E a manja ela vai levar toda a tristeza com a maré. So that was The View from Madeline's Couch from their 2019 release, Bossa Nova Sunset Club. 
and that was a track called Levar. And very happy to say that in the next few episodes, we will be interviewing them to talk to them about this album and how they made this album. And there's some fascinating stories to be told about this music. So stay tuned for that. But before that, we heard from Perth-based musician, composer and bass player Nick Abbey and an album of his called Phantoms. And a track from that we heard was called Remnant. But now it's time to introduce our special guest for episode number three of the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast. And that is Ellie Hoyt, who is originally from Tasmania, vocalist, composer, and musician, and now resides in London. And to introduce us to her music, let's listen to a track from her 2019 release, The Composer's Voice, a celebration of Australian women composers. And this is a track entitled Hear Me.
Well, it's now my great pleasure to invite to the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast, all the way from London, Ellie Hoyt. Thanks for having me, mate. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ellie. Great to have you on the episode. And we'll be talking a lot about your latest release, The Composer's Voice, very soon. But first of all, we were talking off microphone about you growing up in Tasmania. And it made me think, well, now that you are on the other side of the globe in London, have you been able to make any connections of how that upbringing in Tasmania really helped you make the transition overseas, both musically and in life? Mm. That's an interesting one. Uh, well, my experience was pretty unique, I think, to some others, uh, other people's experiences. Um, youngest of five kids. My mum is from Victoria. My dad's American. And they met in Victoria, Australia. He came out in, late in his late 20s. And so they decided they were going to buy land and move to Tasmania and build a house, have a family. And what's really interesting about their story and mine now is also that my mum's three sisters also moved out to the same area um, and basically all bought land and all built houses and all had big families. So we kind of grew up then with, um, you know, about 40 acres of medium temperate rainforest. Some of the other families had up to 100 acres. Wow. Uh, um, we basically, I grew up riding horses. So I sort of very much, you know, very much a lot of animals around. So we had a hobby farm essentially. So we had up to five horses, five dogs, cats, I think two cats, cockatiels, you know, chickens, all everything, turkeys at certain points, cows. We had a milking cow. So it was very, very country, you know. Um, it's 20 minutes to get to the nearest town. And that's just to paint the picture of how rural it really was growing up. You know, we didn't – you didn't go into town unless you had to get groceries, which is kind of once a week or maybe twice a week, twice a week, but you don't go in every day. You don't you, – to get anywhere, you have to get in a car, you know, and as a, as a child, you just sort of – you just live in this beautiful kind of natural environment. Um, and what was also beautiful about that was that we also sort of had these cousins. So we had families that had five to six kids in each family. So I had cousins, two cousins that were my own age as well. So we all went to school on the bus together. And so it was very, very like, you know, beautiful community already built in there as a family. Um, so I guess for me, you know, <clears throat> then looking at my where I am now is really interesting in terms of like looking at that going, huh, I'm not sure if that's everyone else's story, you know, like I don't know if that is, and, and, and then how has that influenced me? And I think there's a lot of kind of, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like they're starting to become a lot more of a kind of a through line in terms of where I'm going and what, what my story is um, because, you know, from that you get this organic experience. You don't get influenced by technology as much. You don't get influenced by the outside world. You really are in this beautiful bubble and you go outside and you build cubbies and you, you ride your bikes and, you, you know, you go swimming in a dam. Like we don't have pools, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess, you know, from that, um, you know, I was given, you know, a, a because my dad was from America, he was very much into also the world and, and being kind of um, aware of what's going on. And he took us around Southeast Asia at the age of, I was eight at the time. He took all of us, seven of us, five kids, around Southeast Asia for three months um, uh, when I was eight. And so that, I was able to see poverty. I was able to see, you know, other things that, that wasn't kind of in our bubble. And that really gave a lot of us um, in the family, you know, that feeling of wanting to travel. 
Um, and I think that's where then for me it was like, oh, okay, the world, right. So like at eight years old, I'm in South, you know, Southeast Asia. This is cool, like, right. So that gave me also the the kind of, I guess, strength to kind of go, oh, okay, so you can travel and it is safe and wow, okay, so my family bubble, that's what you can do. And I think that's what gave me the, the oomph to get out because I, I really wanted to get out to pursue music and I couldn't do it where I came from. And that's what kind of let me into kind of to the now, I guess. Yeah, but that I guess that's my background. So do you think that experience of traveling when you were young for those three months in Asia gave you the added confidence to make the move overseas later in your life? I think so. I think that's what my dad especially instilled in us, all of us in the family, was that the world is a safe place and it is is small but it's big, if that makes sense. It wasn't like it's scary out there. And same as mum actually. You know, you can. it was very much like, hey, look at this. You know, you're eight you know, you're eight years old, we'll take you around Southeast Asia, which culturally is very, very different to how we were brought up and to go, yeah, you, if we can do that as a family, you can do that on your own. I think totally that was, I think that was the, one of the biggest points in my life that definitely gave me that kind of instilled sense of, cool, all right, this can totally possible, let's do this. And that's, I reckon from that has definitely given me the, um, yeah, the nous or the strength to kind of go, cool, let's try this out. Let's, move. you know, I moved to do my undergrad from Tasmania to Queensland with no family. No one was in that city. I knew no, no one. And I, I left my family to even just do an undergrad at, at 18, you know, 19. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad and I'm sure many people are, in Brisbane, I'm glad that you came to Brisbane. And it, I was thinking back earlier to a gig that we did. It was the three Daves, myself, Dave Spice and Dave Cockgreave. And we were playing at a function. I think it was a typical jazz standards gig. You know, we were playing in the background. And then you pulled out this gospel tune, the Reverend Lee, I think it was. And I remember vividly hearing you change gears, so to speak, in your voice. And it was not like you went up a gear. It was just like a different gear, like a different person was on stage singing this track and just killing it. And I remember at the time thinking, what has this girl checked out? She owns this gospel sound also. So what did you check out growing up music-wise? Was soul and gospel a part of your listening diet, so to speak? Yeah. Um, I listened to a lot of different stuff, actually. So my um, when I was young, I loved listening to gospel singers and soul singers like Aretha Franklin, um, a lot of lot, very varied. But I do remember telling my mum that I wanted to be Aretha Franklin when I was five years old. Well, you can hear you it because it's definitely there. <laughs> yeah, like awesome. I would be like, I want to be that lady. And my mum's like, well, you know, <laughs> you're not that lady. But um, I really wanted to be her as a young as a young child. I really love you know, the soul singers. I really did. And so I I always had a love for that voice, but admittedly, you know, it's a different, um, you know, I, I have a different voice type. I'm, I'm sort of more of a soprano or mezzo-soprano. I don't, it's not as thicker folds, vocal folds and whatever, but I did listen to a lot of that, that style always growing up. But then I also, you know, we had Janis Joplin. That was a big influence kind of, I, I don't sound anything like her, but she definitely was someone that you know, had that soul, you know, that real like yeah, kind definitely. of part to her singing that I always really loved. Then we also had, you know, the other sort of side of things with singer-songwriters like Carol King Tapestry on the record player and Bob Marley as a songwriter. And um, we had sort of – and then Dad being American, he did have like Billie Holiday as well. Um, and I loved Ella. I always loved Ella Fitzgerald. So I sort of – for me growing up – 
there was an eclectic mix. And then my brother was totally into, uh, you know, grunge. So I listened to every single, you know, grunge record back in the day, you know, all of the, um, you know, everything, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so all of those records are just in my head, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like, But I, when you say that, I definitely have, you know, and I, I loved Eva Cassidy. I really, I kind of definitely looked at her technique and kind of copied a fair bit of what she was doing. And she right. was an interesting one where she sort of crossed over a bit too with that. She could sort of sing jazz, but she could really have a bit of that sort of soul um, influence. So, yeah, it's an interesting one because that's definitely where I came from, more from that soul, soul jazz or soul kind of Aretha Franklin area than I did kind of a traditional jazz straight ahead swinger sound i sort of got into that when i was about 14 15 16 yeah yeah okay cool because mm. even with your my nightingale stuff and yeah. the folk stuff that you've written and then you've got your jazz album and then and then just that experience that i had so you can really it's very you know a lot of, not a lot of singers are into that and that's totally cool it's just mm. often like you said their upbringing or maybe what they've been exposed to yeah. at a young age so mm. um mm. but yeah that's really cool to hear because you can hear it in a person's voice you definitely can yeah. hear those influences you know like you said you don't sound necessarily like all of them but they're there no yeah, yeah. and it's interesting you say that because i haven't really thought about it to be honest that much in when and when you say it i go huh yeah because it is kind of there like and i wasn't think I, you know i don't think i was really listening to straight ahead jazz singers until i was older so really i feel like my original original kind of you know, through the womb and through my younger years was definitely more in the contemporary, I guess, soul, um, even folk, definitely folk. Like my mum also loved Irish traditional music and that sort of thing. So for me, and Van Morrison, man, like and Tracy Chapman, like all those storytellers yeah, was right. definitely there growing up. So I feel like when I kind of got into jazz, which was sort of 14, I, I got into a big band and toured Tasmania and sang at casinos. And that was when I was like, what is this jazz thing? And I then started getting into, I feel like that has always been my love. But I think originally, that's probably why I think lately all this folk stuff's coming out and all these other yeah. crossover <laughs> things are because it just comes out, you know? Mm. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's now talk about your latest release, The Composer's Voice, Celebrating Women Composers. But before we do that, we're going to listen to a track off it. And that one is If Death Is Kind. Beautiful track. And then we'll come back and have more of a chat about the album. Thanks, Ellie. Sounds good. Breathe the same 
I just love the way you guys ended that together, you and Julian. It's just stunning. Well, can we just talk about now what was the seed that caused this project, um, the composer's voice, celebrating Australian women composers? What was it that kicked it off in, in your mind? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it really originated. So I was coming back from America. I was studying a master's at NEC in Boston and I'd come back and I was kind of looking for something. I was looking for my next project, something that I was, you know, wanting to be excited about, but also that would be different, you know, and I was looking at my values and I was looking at, as an artist, who am I and what, you know, what stories do I want to tell? And I remember I wanted to do something significant and something that's going to be, you know, just meaningful in a way that's not just me doing art. And sometimes it's hard as an artist to be like, you know, everything's, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But when you're writing music and you're going, 
um, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. Sometimes for me, it, it can be challenging. I, I don't always have that oomph and that real like to finish, to get over the finish line. And yeah, right. so I was looking at kind of, you know, stories and, and looking at like what do I, what, what influences me. And I realised that, you know, uh, women in general, like that topic of, of, of women in jazz had come up quite a lot and as a female um, as a singer too, I kind of had come up against some interesting things through my career um, and I felt like how can I start to action as an artist but someone that I actually would like to move into activism and, and actually making some changes and in the future for my children and, and you know, my grandchildren. And so I thought, well, what are things that, you know, are important? And that for me, women in music, um, people, you know, telling their stories. And that was where I sort of went, wow, what about, you know, women's stories? Like, you know, and then that's when I sort of started exploring and I came up with this project and it wasn't – it actually was for the um, Melbourne Women's International Jazz Festival. I right. sort of thought, okay, I want to do this project. And then I'd called up Sonia Horbelt. I'd called up Meg from Bennett's Lane, um, Megan Evans, and I sort of said, what do you think about this project? Like what, what are your thoughts? And they both were like, yeah, you should do it. Like yeah, cool. do it. And that was when it sort of was born where I started going, okay, well, who are these composers that I love? Like I want to hear their voices who are not in the forefront of our industry and who aren't being heard as much as they could be and how can I, as with, with my small platform, help other people? And then it just sort of went like that and I just got so inspired and called all these people that I just feel so inspired by and had maybe never worked with before. So I hadn't worked with Andrea Keller who's, you know, one of my, like I'm – really really inspired by her yeah, and yeah. you know so I'd contacted her and she said yes sure like which tune do you want to use I could write for it or you could use this one I've already got and it just went from there yeah wow so I, mm. I can imagine that you you said some of them you hadn't worked with before was yeah you would have had a connection with all of them in some way what were some of those connections that you had with them that yeah. you'd like to share yeah sure so so let's say if we do stay on Andrea Keller, she's someone that I have listened to since my undergrad from about 19. And so I'd been listening to her for over 10 years at least. And I'd always been incredibly inspired by her. And so for me, that was just sort of a given. It was like, okay, you know, give her an email, like got a bit nervous and all that. And she was yeah. just completely open and said, yeah, you know, this is great. I'll be a part of it. Um, but then you have someone like, say, um, Georgia Weber, who who I've become friends with over the years. She's a bass player originally from Great from bass Brisbane. player from Brisbane. Yep. Yeah, and she'd been living in New York for quite a few years. And so I, I've been friends with her and became closer with her over the years. But I, I felt that she had some incredible stories to tell as a female <laughs> bass player um, and the different sort of challenges she's had and, and good things too. And so I sort of contacted her and she wrote for this project. So she actually wrote a song that sort of very much goes into – um, her experience really um, and I love that I track love that. because it's her talking about being in a band and then missing out on opportunities and then mm. yeah that was a really eye-opening track for me I really dug it yeah I think so too like and so that track was called yeah here we go and I agree it's sort of very much like about that like about kind of as a musician just in generally that we do miss out on things because we're working on the weekend you know and there's so many themes in that the lyric that she's written that I love I really feel quite um you know not attached to but yeah it, it kind of resonates for me so that for that for that I thought you know that's great she wrote for that tune wrote sorry wrote that tune for the project and maybe one other was like someone like Tamara Murphy 
she's another bass player <laughs> um, <laughs> from Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, she, you know, I'd work with her on and off a few times over the years living in Melbourne and et cetera. And um, she wrote for that project as well, which meant that I, and I also wrote the lyrics to that. So that was a beautiful kind of combination of her going, hey, I've got these tunes. And then I sort of went, okay, what do you about, think about this? And we wrote that sort of, she wrote the song, I um, wrote the lyrics and that was much about being brave and, and having, you know, doubts and, you know, pushing through your kind of, um, yeah, just pushing through your own insecurities and your own self-doubt, you know. So it's been quite amazing. Mm. I was interested in that track actually because I noticed on the liner notes, I think it was on Earshift Bandcamp mm. page, um, mm. that you wrote the lyrics for her tune. So I was wondering what's the process like with writing lyrics for an existing song as opposed to mm. when you're writing, say, your own song and you've lyrically got to come up with a story. No doubt you've got to mm. do the same with her song, but the melody's probably already written or what was that yep. process like with that tune? That one was pretty quite interesting like it didn't take me long um I've, I've done this a little bit over the years so louise dinson in my undergrad gave me a tune just like that and i wrote lyrics to it right. um and i feel like they were in a similar th sort of vein in terms of you know if it doesn't resonate it doesn't resonate for me and i, I sort of won't really want to get in but when tamara sent me um braver it wasn't called braver it was called something else and i sort of went okay what could the topic be first and I went, all right. And I contacted her. And I said, what do you think about this? Like this whole self-doubt thing, you know, like and being trying to be brave and push through some of that. And, and do you feel like that sometimes? And she's like, yeah, of course. And so that was where for me, the impotence then was like, whoa. And then, then I'd just sing along with the melody and find, you know, a lot of it's very subconscious for me first. And then I'll re rejig the lyrics. But it was very much, you know, okay, how was I feeling at the time? And that was for me, okay, great. Like, you know, I've got to be stronger, braver, you know, and, and the words would come out and then I just put them all together. So I guess one, it has to resonate. Two, then it's very much a stream of consciousness that then kind of forms into like a bit more like let's look at the lyrics now and, you know, change them. But that song, honestly, it wrote itself within a day like of me just looking at yeah, it and right. then I was able to put it together. Yeah. Mm. Did you write lyrics for any other pre-existing songs on the album or was that the only one? I think that was the only one, yeah, because I wrote two tracks of my own. Like so I've put two tracks um on there that is just a fully original of mine and then I've written the lyrics to Braver um, and the rest actually the the composers wrote the lyrics as well yeah, yeah right oh cool so mm. did these any of the women have another more involvement in it like I know you had Andrea on the yeah. actual recording date yes. um, did did say did Tamara come in and sort of go through sort of oversee her tune or was it sort of more left to you in the studio what was the mm. sort of the vibe the um, scenario yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there are some composers that had more influence when it came to the arrangement because I sort of very much left it up to everyone. I, I sort of said, could you arrange it or would you like to arrange it? I can arrange it. But, you know, so there's some songs that were sent and said, do what you like. Um, someone like Louise Denson has, has arranged it with horns and has really kind of really, you know, it's very much everything is there of hers and I'm just sort of singing on it. So it's still a collaborative thing, but she's she's really kind of um, influenced that 
on a whole, you know, in terms of the arrangement as well. Um, Andrea Keller as well. She's she's an incredible arranger. And she's kind of gone, okay, so Ellie's on this and we're going to have Jules, Julian Wilson. So she then arranged it for how she could hear it with the, the actual instrumentalists. So she's someone that will kind of think about who are the people playing on this. Okay, James McLean, great. You know, Sam Manning. Okay, cool. So she arranged it specifically for me and Jules and sort of changed it to her other arrangement she'd had in the past on other recordings. So that was interesting. Um, but then there's things like Braver where Tam sort of gave it to me. I wrote lyrics and then she'd had some ideas of how she wanted the drum kind of part, but I'd changed it a little bit and then we sort of changed it back. So it's kind of I, was, I felt like a bit more free with that one and I sang it a lot more free, I felt, than I have with other pieces because I felt like, okay, I've, I've written lyrics to this, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, so that one really just morphed out itself. Um you know, Shannon Barnett, she kind of, she arranged that one too, very specifically, which was really beautiful. So yeah, all over, I think, um, Georgia, we kind of did what we wanted with that one as well. So they they had fairly clear ideas of what they wanted in their arrangements, but we sort of, yeah, changed Which that. really fits in beautifully with the actual theme of the whole album, because they, mm. it's like a collective of women coming together to have their real stamp on the album individually yep. on their tunes and they're owning it but just thinking about the band that you had too like Andrea Keller's got a pretty intimate knowledge of that band like that's kind yes. of her working band you know so yes what was that yep. like having those guys in the studio like did they sort of come up with parts in the studio that were sort of like oh can we try this or can we do that or did they just sort of stick with their part yeah, they definitely put their stamp on it which was wonderful it was honestly Dave it was one of the best like days I've had in years I as a imagine. recording it experience. Awesome. Like, like honestly, it was it was it was funny because I actually was moving again. So it was like within that week I was about to move to England. So there was this real kind of like you know this is just being the moment for me. I was like, well, I'm just moving again. So um, we went in. I um, put on a massive spread. So I, I got like I asked everyone like, what what do you want to eat? Like, so I was like, Andrea, what's your favorite things? And she's like, macadamia nuts or some sort of nuts. And I said, what do you like to eat? And so I brought in all these beautiful bits of food for lunch. And we kind of um, went in and I kind of last minute kind of I was producing it and I kind of was like, I can't just produce it myself. I need someone else on board. So um, we had Matt Jodrell kind of step in because he was sort of only playing some of the album. So I said, oh, mate, like, can you can you help produce it? Like, I, I completely trust you anyway. But like, could you just help be in the control room and say, yep, that takes great, you know, because I just keep going. So he sort of stepped into that role quite beautifully. And we just jumped in there. We we'd only rehearsed it I think had we rehearsed it yes we had a rehearsal the day before for a couple of hours went in and played through most of it there were definitely songs like there was a part um so there was uh the hear me tune there were parts where Sam Manning was like oh this is this might be a bit busy here let's open it up so I'm going to take out some of that bass line and do this so they we definitely workshopped some of the pieces in terms of the arrangement say mm, I'm not sure about that and then <clears throat> as we go we definitely kind of move things around mm. yeah I could, I could imagine with that band they couldn't but help sort of put their stamp on it because they're all such mm. great musicians so well let's exactly. talk about your track New Orleans which we're going to have mm -hmm. a listen to in a minute <clears throat> can you give us the background context of that where did that tune come from you know because you are a girl from Tasmania <laughs> you're not from yeah. New Orleans so no. let's um, put us in the picture as to where this tune came from well, that one's an interesting one. I was living in Brisbane at the time 
and I was moving to America and I'd previously traveled around New Orleans and was like, couldn't believe this place. Like if you haven't been, it's one of the most interesting places I've ever been. And I mean, on a spiritual level too, it's hard to explain, but on a physical, spiritual kind of, there's stuff going on there. That's just like, whoa, what is this place, man? Like, and it really just, I don't know, it, it stayed with me. And New Orleans is really more about um, leaving again, right? I'm always, I feel like my whole life is about moving and leaving, like, and letting go and then starting something new. So New Orleans might not technically, you know, it technically it says it's about New Orleans, but it's actually really about, uh, you know, just starting again and leaving and, you know, saying goodbye to my family and, and to my friends, you know. So that was me moving to America from Brisbane but being influenced by New Orleans and that sound as well, you know, the kind of, um, you know, old school New Orleans kind of, you know, thing. So I kind of was like, oh, okay, I'm hearing this sound, which is New Orleans-y, so I'm just going to kind of, and within a jazz standard or jazz kind of world, I was making it sort of, you know, that American sort of thing. But um, really it was just about leaving. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope you can stay where you are for a while. You've just moved again, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was nice to hear that track on the album, actually, because, you know, there's so, so many stories going through that album. And then mm. that's got a quite a deep story just from what you're saying, but it does break yeah. it up when it comes to musically. Like it's, mm. it, it, yeah, I really thought it, it was just the right spot to put it in the album. So that's, oh, that's just my good. opinion. <laughs> yeah. No, that's nothing, good. Really. Yeah. Because yeah. it was interesting because some of these, com- yeah, because we, we kind of had this discussion at certain points going like, a lot of these could be ballads, right? They could be really heavy and really like, you know, and so there needed to be some light in that and that sort of lift as well and in the positive. Um, so I'm really glad that you said that because I kind of put that in thinking, okay, we need to kind of find some some of that kind of contrast as well. Yeah, know? no, it really balanced it. So well, let's have a listen to it, hey? And then we'll talk more about the album. I don't want to go away, Papa, but it's time I left this home. And I know that I will miss you. I promise I won't be away for too long. Cause this ship is in sail again across the rugged sea. And don't you know, don't you know by now? I finally found peace So dry your tears on my way I'm going down to New Orleans There is nothing, there is nothing that can harm me Cause I am
to go away properly But it's time I left this home And I know that I miss you I promise, I promise I, I won't be away for too long Cause this ship is setting sail again Across the rugged sea And don't you know, don't you know by now I finally found peace exciting things do you have coming up Ellie over the next you know we're in the middle of lockdown not exactly sure what it's like in London at the moment but in Victoria Mm. here it's pretty hectic so what have you got coming up on the horizon uh you know as as we've talked about a little bit previously there's not a lot of live gigs kind of going on you know you know a lot anyway so it's kind of looking at how to pivot and how to kind of, you know, still be creating and performing in different ways. Uh, what I'm really excited about is uh, Ear Shift. Jeremy Rose um, is, is sort of starting a beautiful festival through Ear Shift and that's going to be on October 11, Sunday, October 11, and I'll be performing for that. So that's what I'm excited about. It's an online festival and I'll be, I'll be performing for that. Yeah. So what will be the lineup? How are you going to, obviously online, do you, are you going to have a band or a duo? What's the what's it going to be? Yeah, it's a tricky one because I've thought about this a lot. I think if I had a really big room, like a really nice room and I had really good internet and a good setup, I would have a full band. The issue I have with that is I don't think, I don't really have that space here in London. Um, and so what I'm planning to do but it might change is to have a either duo or trio so definitely piano and voice maybe piano and bass voice we'll see and see if I can do it up here in my loft um, and set up you know I've got a bit more space so I can bring it back and we could you know play um, live from here and and set you know set it up so we've got sparkly lights and make things kind of nice and pretty but um, it's an an interesting one because I haven't done a lot of live concerts so I'm sort of still figuring out how do we do this you know in a in a you know, a way that's not too stressful, but also like, you know, lovely. Mm. Yeah. And will you be playing tunes off the album? Yes. So I'll be definitely playing off my latest record, all the Australian women composer pieces. And also I'm hoping to to bring in a couple of songs that didn't make it on the the record that I still love to sing from other composers because I've had, you know, nine tunes were on the, the album, but I think I had up to 12 composers be involved. So, and I would love to do another volume. I'd love to do a volume two and have more you know, composers and upcoming composers, you know, on the record. So, hmm. Very good. So have you got any projects that you've dusted off the shelf that you've never had time for, but now you're going to do now? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm actually writing a record at the moment and right. it's fully original. Can so... you tell us about it without giving it away too much? Yeah, I know, right? Because, yeah, it's still cooking, right? It's still it's kind cooking. of marinating. It's brewing on the, on mm. the stove. 
Yeah, it's. I'm not really sure where it's going to go at the moment, but there's definitely a lot of themes. Um, the themes are all about um, home, moving, dislocation, um, sense of identity, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is really quite at the moment for me um, where I'm coming from as I'm getting older and, and wanting to find roots like, you know, Tassie roots. So, yeah, I'm doing a little bit of research into my heritage, my Irish heritage and the different, you know, the convicts that came out to, to from Ireland to Tassie and, and my own journey of being a traveller, a world traveller and, you know, trying to assimilate but at the same time trying to keep my own cultural identity. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment. So I'm just writing a lot of tunes Um but it's going to be interesting because I think it's going to cross over quite a lot. I don't think it's going to be straight ahead sort of jazz. It's going to be very much contemporary. Um, and there's a lot of sort of singer-songwriter guitar sort of stuff on there too. So we'll see. We'll see how it all kind of comes together. Mm. Yeah. Well, thanks heaps for talking to us, Ellie. It's been awesome to have you on the show. This is the third episode. Let's hope we can keep it going and appreciate you being on to help us out with it. And it's been great talking to you, particularly about the album. And good luck with the new stuff you're working on. It's going to be great to hear that. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. Well, let's take it out with actually listening to Braver from the composer's voice, celebrating Australian women composers. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, mate. Pushing on further, I do it for you. There is an expectation, put in the time, don't waste it. I do it for.
Braver from Ellie Hoyt's 2019 release, The Composer's Voice, a track written by Tamara Murphy, and then lyrics also by Ellie Hoyt herself. Well, now we move to a track from Brisbane guitarist and composer Mike Anderson from his album Eyes and Wolves, his latest release. And on this album, he's joined by fellow Brisbane musicians, bassist Nick Quigley and drummer Nathan Goldman. And this is a track entitled A Few Blocks Up. Thank you. 
So that was a few blocks up from Mike Anderson's Eyes and Wolves release. Well, now we've come to the last track of the third episode of the Australian Jazz and Groove podcast, and we're now going to listen to a very talented composer, drummer, and percussionist, Lachlan Hawkins. And apart from being a fantastic drummer, he's also forged a solo career on the handpan. Now, if you don't know what the handpan is, be sure to Google it, and you'll definitely get to hear it in this very next track from his 2018 release, No Enemy Within. All the tracks on this recording are original, and the one we're going to listen to is entitled Forge Ahead. This is Lachlan Hawkins.
amazing sound that was from Lachlan Hawkins and his album No Enemy Within. And that track was entitled Forge Ahead. Beautiful stuff. So it's that time again, folks, the end of another episode. And a big shout out to Ellie Hoyt for taking the time to talk about her 2019 release, The Composer's Voice. Also, a big thank you for all those that have sent in music to be played. And we will hear from a lot more of those tracks in coming episodes. So if you would like to show your appreciation for these artists, as we said in previous episodes, please go and buy their music. Even if it's just one track that you've liked, Google them or search for them on Bandcamp or other platforms and purchase this music. And if you would like to have your music played, then also please email me at australianjazzandgroovepodcast at gmail.com and get in touch that way. Also, if you're able to leave a positive review on platforms like iTunes or Spotify or other podcast platforms, please do that. That way we can get more people listening to this music and more people being able to purchase this fine work from these Australian musicians and composers. But for now, it's time to wrap it up. Thank you again for joining us on the third episode of the Australian Jazz and Podcast. And until next time, it's bye for now. Cheers.